tomatoes are good. So please, if you would, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. We're going to be there for a little bit today. Um, I don't think we have... Yeah, oh, you don't even have to have it on. I'm okay. Um, I don't think I have anything to report. I think Debbie's home now. Right, I think Debbie Ames is home, so that's a praise that she's home now. And, um, and I think that's about it. Uh, so let's go ahead and let's pray. Oh, that's one thing I wanted to say. When we were singing the song, you know... Uh, Come, now is the time to worship. Come just as you are. Isn't that what we're to do? Sometimes we have this idea that we have to clean ourselves up, then come to Jesus. But the thing we need to do is we need to just come to Jesus and then let him clean us up. Right? We're seeing this in Pilgrim's Progress where he gets the new clothes. And so what a fitting song to for Sunday school. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll start. Father, we thank you that we can come. And we can worship you in our singing and in our giving and in the preaching of the word. Lord, thank you for the prayer of David, Lord, in Chronicles. What a, what a powerful prayer, Lord. And may we have hearts to pray that way too, Father. You've given us the scriptures to pray through. May we do those things often. Father, now I just pray that as we come to your word, Lord, that you would give us insight in it you would open our hearts to it you would open our ears to it lord that we would be convicted by it we would be encouraged by it and that we would trust in it so lord i just ask now that you would come and and accompany the preaching of your word in your name amen so we've been going through the solas We've only got two more left. We have done Sola Scriptura, we've done Sola Gratia, and we've done Sola Christus. And all the solas mean is alone, right? So it's in our salvation is based in Scripture alone, it's based by grace alone, and it's by Christ alone. And so now today we embark on faith alone. Now faith is very interesting because unbelievers display faith believers display faith we have faith in certain things but there is a biblical definition of faith so what is faith and what is faith alone so listen to what the writer of hebrews says about faith in chapter 11 of hebrews the writer says this now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the convictions of things not seen for by it the people of old received their commendation. Faith we understand. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So we see that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the things not seen. By faith we believe in creation. None of us were there. We didn't see it take place. But by faith, we believe in it. But then the writer goes on after he talks about Enoch's faith and Abel's faith. He says this in Hebrews eleven six. He says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe. We see that word must believe. That he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So by faith, it's, we have to have faith to please God. And what do we have to do? We have to have faith that what? That he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. This is what makes faith of the unbeliever different than the believer is that our faith is in God who exists, right? We have atheists who say God doesn't exist, which I find interesting because they spend all this time trying to prove something they don't believe exists, which is kind of different. So, first of all, what I want us to look at is when we look at faith is that we don't muster up faith, right? We have to understand that all, even the solace and even the doctrines of grace that we talked about are all rooted in this total depravity, right? Where Paul says that we're dead. So we're unable to muster up faith. So along with everything else in our salvation, faith, the reason we believe, is based upon a gift from God. And we get that in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So this gift of faith is given to us by God. He is the giver of it. Now, we see it very clearly in the thief on the cross. This is what we see very clear in the thief on the cross. Now, the thief on the cross is a real interesting character because he puts a wrench in everything we believe. He totally puts a wrench in everything. All we have to do is look to the thief on the cross and be like, well, that doesn't make sense either. We can't base that. But the thief on the cross is amazing. Listen to what it says in Luke 23, 39 through 43. It'll be up there. And one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Now listen to this. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is faith, right? Here's the thief on the cross. One is railing against Jesus, but God opens the eyes of one to see what? To have faith that this is a king, to see a king. Now, if we remember what Christ looks like on the cross, right? Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 52 that he's beyond resemblance. He doesn't even resemble a man because he's been beaten so bad. But God opens the thief's eyes to see a king. And by faith, he says what? Remember me in your kingdom. Because God had given him eyes to see. He awakened his spirit. He redeemed him. And so we see this faith as this gift of God in the last seconds of his life. So brothers and sisters, this is encouragement that we pray to the end for those who are friends in our family that are unbelievers because we don't know what God does in the end. Look at what he does in the end. The very end of this thief's life, he saves the thief. His last moments of life, Jesus says, you'll be with me today in paradise. So we take encouragement from that. But when we think of faith alone, when we think of faith alone, we come to one major doctrine that we really think about, 
and it's justification. We listened to a little bit of it. I'm not going to go into it like we did in Sunday school, but justification by faith alone. Right? We're justified by faith alone. Now, justification is the act of a judge in acquitting an accused person. It's a legal term that we get. And it's a process of declaring one righteous. It doesn't make one righteous. Justification is the act of declaring one righteous. That's what it is. Martin Luther wrote this. How can I stand before the holiness of my judge with work polluted in their very source? His whole thing was, how can I stand before God when I look at myself and I see all the pollution in myself? How can I stand righteous before a holy God? How can I be justified before a holy God? And he battled with this. He battled with this. And so we see that justification is not something of ourselves, but it is by faith alone in Christ alone. That's what it is. So now look with me at Romans 3. Look with me at Romans 3, because we're going to dissect this just a tad bit. In Romans 3, verses 21 through 26, this is what the word says. Now remember in Romans 3, Paul just gets done saying that all have turned aside Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. No one seeks after God. No one understands. There's no one righteous, not one. So then he comes in and he says that in verse 20, he says, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. So there's no works we can do. That's what Martin Luther was sitting there saying. All of our works are polluted. How can I stand before a holy God? I need that righteousness. I need to be justified. So here's what Paul says in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Stop there now. How many people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? All. All of us. All of us in this room, we fall short of God's glory because we sin. So verse 24 picks it up this way. And are justified, there's our word, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Big section, a lot going on there. But let's just look at three things really quick. First of all, we see this, the ground of our justification, or not our grounds, but the source of our justification. The source of our justification is grace, Romans 3.24 and are justified by his grace as a gift. So this justification by faith alone, its source is grace, and that grace is a gift of God. So our justification is a gift of God. So the ground of our justification is the work of Christ. This is what we want to get to. The ground of our justification is the work of Christ. Look at Romans 3.25 whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. 
because God, because Christ has satisfied God's wrath. Because Christ has appeased God's wrath. That's why we are justified. We are justified in Him. And Romans 5.1 says, since we have been justified, then we have peace with God. We have peace with God. And this is by faith alone. And he goes further into it in chapter 4 when he talks about Abraham's justification. That Abraham was considered justified. He was considered righteous by his faith. Faith alone, which is a gift from God, which is not something we muster up. And then the means of our justification is this faith. Is this faith. In Romans 3.26 it says this. It was to show the righteous at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. So that's a major doctrine that we see is justification by faith alone. That is what we have, is this justification by faith alone. So what I want to look at is what about this faith? What about this faith? Well, I had faith, right? Did you have faith before you said a prayer or did you have faith before you walked down an aisle or was it given to you? We've talked about that before. And all that is given to us by God because that's the Holy Spirit working in us. But the Bible has three elements of faith. And I want to look at that, three elements of faith. And the first element that we see of our faith is knowledge. We have to have knowledge, right? We have to have knowledge. We, we, we have to have faith in the truth of God. We have to have knowledge of the truth of God. We have to have faith in the object of our faith. Right? This is just simple stuff. R.C. Sproul says it this way. I cannot have God in my heart if he's not in my head. Before I can believe in God, I must believe that God exists. This is faith. This is knowledge. This is a step in there of us having knowledge. Before we can believe, we must have the reality that God is. That's what Hebrews says. And that he is a rewarder of those who does, does good. And it's in the object of our faith. Now, what's the object of our faith? The object of our faith is Jesus Christ, right? This is the object that we put our faith in. Now, how many of you in here have seen Jesus face to face? Right? It's the things hoped for, the things unseen. We haven't seen Jesus, but we have faith that Jesus exists, right? We have faith that he's the incarnate son of God, what John 1 and 1, 2 says. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. We have faith in the fact that he's the creator of all things. John 1, 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1, 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. These are basic things that we have faith in, that we believe in. We believe that he's the source of all grace and truth. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We understand these are truths that come from Jesus, that he's the eternal sacrifice. John the Baptist says, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in Titus, Paul writes it this way, waiting for a blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us 
to redeem us all from our lawless and to purify us from him for himself a people for his own possessions who are zealous for good works we have faith in that we have faith that jesus is the resurrection and the life in john eleven twenty five, jesus said to her i am the resurrection and the life and we have faith that he's coming back again that jesus is the coming king and we read this in first thessalonians 4 14 through 18 for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not proceed who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is Christ coming back. He will return. We have faith for all these things. And the writer of Hebrews, he sums it all up in verse 3 of chapter 1. He is the radiance of God's glory, or he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, and he rules. We believe all this. This is all knowledge that we have up here. This is all knowledge of who the person of Jesus Christ is, the work that he has done. The scary thing is, is we can know all of this and still be lost. You can know every aspect of this and still be an unbeliever. So knowledge, just faith with knowledge is not, is not enough because many people have knowledge of all this is, but yet they walk around and they're not a believer. It's when the 12 inches takes place. It's when the Holy Spirit takes everything that we have knowledge of and he moves it to our heart. That's when conversion takes place. And we respond with a true belief in Jesus. Just not knowledge, but belief. Belief in the word of God. Belief in that this is true. Belief in that this is right. Belief that this is sharper and, and, and uh, it's, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's belief that in Romans where he says that it's the power of God under salvation. Do we really believe that? It's that belief that grips our heart. It's belief in the word of God. In Psalms 119.66, he says this, Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. It's a true belief that is rooted in our hearts. John 14.1 says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe. Have this belief in God. Believe also in me. So it's this belief, and John encourages us in our believing when he says this in 1935. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. That when we read the gospel of John, and we see the glory of Christ, and we see the deity of Christ, and we see that Christ is God in the flesh, and what he has done on that cross, John is saying, I've seen it. I bear testimony to it. This is true. This is real. It's that belief. It hit his heart. It just wasn't knowledge anymore. He just didn't have the knowledge of all the miracles. 
He didn't have the knowledge of seeing all these things. But all of a sudden, the belief ripped his heart, and it gripped his heart, and it turned into what? Saving faith, faith alone. That gift that we have, he encourages us. So we've seen two parts. We've seen faith, and we've seen belief, right? So now, there's many college professors that can probably articulate Christianity better than, better than we can. They probably know the ins and outs of Christianity better than any seminary professor. But it's just knowledge. They don't believe what they teach. They don't believe what they teach. Brothers and sisters, it can happen here in the pulpit. It can happen at Sunday school. Do we really believe what we teach? Or are we just up here saying words? Which one is it? Has it really gripped your heart? You see, you can have knowledge and you can have belief. And you know what that qualifies you to be? A demon. It qualifies you to be a demon. That's it. It doesn't qualify you to be a believer if you have knowledge and belief. It qualifies you to be a demon. Listen to what it says. Listen to what the demons say in James 2.19. You believe that God is one? Yes, we believe God is one. He's a trinity, right? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. My question to you is this. We believe that God is one, but do you shudder like the demons do? Or do we just go about our everyday life ho-hum? The demons shudder. They shake in their boots at the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. Listen to what Luke 4.34 says. Ha! Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down into the mist, he came out of him, having done him no harm. Again in Luke 4.41, And the demon also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Luke 8, 28, When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. And then again in Mark, you got the Mark one? Again in Mark, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demons have knowledge of the Trinity. The demons know exactly who Jesus is. They believe who He is. The Son of God. The Holy One of God. But yet they remain unrepentant. They can't repent. They will be thrown into the lake of fire for eternity. You see, knowledge and belief we can have, but it only qualifies us to be a demon. That is all it qualifies us to be. So what makes our faith different? What makes our faith different that we are not qualified as a demon? Well, it comes down to commitment. 
It's our commitment, right? It's our love for Jesus. It's a commitment. So now I want everybody to do this. This is kind of a, a show of, uh, it's kind of a thing. I want everybody to stand up real quick. I'm just going to, this, this is going to prove a point. Just because I need Carlos not to fall asleep. So everybody stand. Now everybody sit down. Perfect, right? I didn't see anybody turn around and push on the chair to make sure it was going to hold you. Right? So we have this. We see we have knowledge that that chair is there. We believe that that chair is going to hold us. So we commit and we sit down. It's the same thing with our faith. Hold on. We have knowledge of who Jesus is. We have this belief with who he is. And so we commit. For everybody that's in here that's married, same thing, right? When we have our spouse and we're dating with our spouse, we have this knowledge. We're, we're learning about our spouse and we have our knowledge of her. And then all of a sudden, or him, and then all of a sudden we start having this belief that, oh, hey, this might be a good husband or this might be a good wife. And then all of a sudden we don't know if that's going to happen until we do what? Until we commit and we get married. Then we know. That's what we have. So we have this commitment. And this commitment, as Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way, commitment is a real yielding of oneself to Christ which goes beyond knowledge, is what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. It is a commitment like Thomas in the Gospel of John. Thomas was the one who doubted, right? He said, unless I see the marks in his hands and the mark in his side, I, I, I won't believe. But listen to what Thomas says in 20, 27 and 28. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. That's what makes the difference. My Lord and my God. Is Jesus just knowledge in your head? Is the belief of Jesus just knowledge in your head? Or has faith alone gripped your heart so that you say, my Lord and my God? It is a radical change of values. It's a commitment like no other. It's a commitment that we now love what God loves and we hate the things that God hates. It's a commitment that our affections are different. Our love is different. Our caring for others is different. There's a difference in your life. Do you see a difference in your life? This is true faith. This is faith alone when we see a difference in our life. Our convictions are different. We talk different. We watch things on TV that are different. We look at things that are different. We're a different person. That's what it is. It's a change that we now pursue with intensity what we despised. We pursue Jesus with intensity because at one point in time, we did not. We despised him. 
We were enemies of him, and now we pursue him intently. This is a radical change. This is what happens when faith and belief grip our hearts. We now see Jesus desirable when at one time there was nothing attractive about him. Now he's beautiful to us. In fact, we are those who cannot see our lives without Jesus. We are the parable in Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is Jesus. He's that treasure. When we are committed to him, he becomes that treasure that we sell everything to go and buy that field. He is the kingdom of God. In 45 and 46, Jesus says it this way. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of a fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Is Jesus that to us? Is he worth all that you have? Your home, your cars, your 401ks, your retirement. Are you willing to lose all of it to gain the pearl? To gain the treasure that Jesus is? This is commitment to Jesus. This is where the rubber meets the road. We can have knowledge and we can have belief. But so do the demons. But the demons aren't committed to Jesus Christ. They are not committed to following him. True faith and faith alone does this. In closing, when we close this, faith alone, we can know that this, that when this roots in our heart, that nothing in our lives can compare to Jesus. He outweighs it all. When we have faith alone in Jesus Christ, it outweighs it all. Here's what Paul says in Philippians 3, 4 through 7. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But then he says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Wow. Brothers and sisters, we have to understand this. When we have faith alone, we understand that Christ grips our heart. We are committed to him because we believe in him and we have knowledge of him. We are justified alone by our faith in him. Justification then is an act of God by which he declares sinners to be righteous. This is us. We are righteous because of our faith by this way by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this. Thank you for your word, Lord. 
Thank you that we are justified in Christ fully and completely. Lord, thank you for the gift of faith that you give us. Now may we go forth today, Lord, with this faith that you have granted us in your Son. May we proclaim him. May we preach him. May we live a life that is glorifying to you. In your name, amen. Please, let's stand for our last song.